good to be in the house of the Lord with the family tonight. Um, I miss you guys during the week when, you know, when we don't get to catch up. So it's good to see you guys. I'm glad y'all made it. Um, uh, Danny and Marcus, I'm especially grateful that you guys are here because if y'all don't know, they went to a conference. They represented Alamo Stone at a leadership conference uh, this weekend and, and got back just in time to be here. So thank you for making the effort to to not just get there, but to get back so you can worship with us. It's, it's, uh, it was a great surprise to see you guys tonight. So brought a smile to my face. Um, so tonight we're going to continue our series uh, through the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. The series is is titled The King's Speech. Um, we have finished chapter 5, so we're going to pick up in chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles handy, you can flip there with me. And if you're one of those uh, uh, that brings your physical Bible to, to church every Saturday, one, thank you. But two, like, have you gotten to that point where your Bible, like, it almost, like, just naturally falls open to Matthew five yet you know like I love when you're in in a book of the Bible so much that that happens you know so uh just kind of cool so um we will start with a little context before we just jump right in so Jesus uh this Sermon on the Mount if you read five six and seven together how long does it take roughly to read those three chapters about 11 minutes just under 11 minutes um and so it, but it's the longest recorded uh message that he he gives, and in chapter 5, he made it clear that uh, the expectation for his followers, he didn't lower the standard of what he expects of his followers, of, of what constitutes you know, righteousness or morality. He actually, he raised the bar, so he said things like, uh, not only should you not commit adultery, but if you just have lust in your heart for someone, then you're guilty of adultery. And not only is it, is it not sufficient that you not murder someone physically, but if you have hatred in your heart towards someone, then you're guilty of murder. So he raises the bar, which uh, the good thing about that is there's only two people in this room that are murderers and adulterers. The bad news is you're one and I'm the other. So uh, the, the point that he is making without coming right out and saying it is we can't measure up. We're just not good enough to enter into his kingdom and only one person is and that is Jesus himself the one who's delivering this message and so that might be a little disheartening but it's also very freeing in knowing that you know as hard as we try we know we're going to fall short but we are forgiven by grace and we assume the righteousness that Jesus uh, has what's interesting though is chapter 6 it, it, he actually raises the bar even even higher so I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 and then uh, skip over to 16 through 18. So as I'm reading these verses and as you're reading along, uh, following along, just kind of take mental note of words or phrases that are repetitive. Okay, here we go. Chapter 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, 
in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 16. And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. So what are some of the words or phrases that were repeated in those verses? <coughs> Just shout them out. Secret. By men. I'm sorry? Yes, uh, the reward paid in full. Hypocrites. Thank you. Um, and so here's what, here, when I said earlier, like Jesus raises the standard even, even higher than he had in chapter 5. Because now he's saying it's not only like not good enough that you don't do these things or have these thoughts in your heart. But now even when you do, do good things, it can be a bad thing. Like the motivation for why you do good things could actually be a bad thing. So I have a question to start with. Back in Matthew chapter 5, we read where Jesus said to let your light shine before men. Y'all remember that? Let your light, even if you don't remember, you know, you've probably heard that expression, right? Let your light shine before men. And now he says, don't do things to be noticed by men. So is he contradicting himself? He's not. Who said no? Danny, thank you. Anyone want to take a, take a stab at why he's not contradicting himself? And by the way, Danny, that is always the right answer when we ask, is Jesus contradicting himself? The answer is always <laughs> All right, it's in verse 16 of chapter 5. This is what he says. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Right, so uh, that's why he's not contradicting himself because he's saying let your light shine so that your Father can be glorified. And in chapter 6, he's saying don't do good things so that men will glorify you. So he's not contradicting himself. Chapter 6 is about motivation. What motivates us to do good things? Is it in order to be seen by men? Now, as will happen sometimes, we may read this and go, oh, you know, I don't, I don't really do things to get noticed by other people. But is that true? Like if we just pause to reflect on, like, what do I do so people will go, man, that was really good. And how do we go about getting that pat on the back, the kudos, the recognition from men? I know we've talked about it kind of a lot lately, and I hate to keep beating a dead horse, but what about social media? I'm probably the oldest person in the room. So Facebook is my, my social media you know, program of choice, right? I know you guys run a whole bunch of cooler things than, than Facebook. But... But Facebook, you know, has the like feature, and they've even added so you can, like, not just like, but you can, like, go be surprised, or, you know, uh, you can choose to heart, all these things. 
Do you ever post stuff on Facebook, like good things? Oh, I had a great time in prayer group. Man, you should have been at Alma Stone's worship service. It was awesome. Oh, I'm, I'm discipling this student over here. Oh, wait a minute. That's not good enough to smile again. Uh, went on a daddy-daughter date. It's me. <laughs> and then you post it, and then what do you do? You can't even wait a minute before you go back and see, how many people liked it? How many likes did I get? Who commented and told me what a great person I am? If we're being honest, I do. And I think if you're on social media, you probably do too. You know, Ross kind of spoke to it earlier. Like he just longs to, to be united with Christ. And in the meantime, like that's our struggle. We, we want that approval. And, and so we seek it from physical, tangible, material people. And if social media is not your thing, first, good for you. Good for you. But second, how, how do you seek approval? from others maybe you don't post it but do you do you speak it do you tell people you know what you did men especially those of us who are married i'm gonna call us out young ladies who aren't married yet you can just expect this when you do get married men can we ever just do anything like a uh, do anything around the house and not bring it to our wife's attention if she doesn't notice right away i think it's just in our dna Oh, yeah, honey, I, just, I changed a roll of toilet paper in the bathroom earlier today. And you know what? It wasn't even empty. It had like two sheets left. But I knew I didn't want to inconvenience you, so I just put a brand new roll in there. I was thinking of you, baby. That's the kind of man I am. <laughs> Men will do those things. Seriously, I, I have a story for you. I, I recall when Plara and I were first married, we were not even, we had, weren't even married a year, and we were living in North Carolina. And it was the dead of summer. It was just hot and humid and miserable. And I left the house one morning, and I'm going through this little side street, you know, that comes into our neighborhood or goes out of our neighborhood. And I see these two guys who are construction workers, and it's about lunchtime. And so I'm assuming they're on their lunch break. And they're sitting under this tree in the shade. And they just look like they're about to pass out. You know, they, they were Latinos. They had dark skin. But, and so... It was like their dark tan mixed with just the redness from working out in the sun. And just sweat and dirt and grime, just a mixture, just covered these guys. And so I turned back around, and I went back to our little condo, and I went inside and got one of those little water coolers, you know, like a sports you know, water cooler. And I filled up with cold water and ice, and I drove back by, and I pulled on the side of the road, and I rolled one down. And I said, kid in agua? And, and their faces like lit up, you know, one of the guys comes over and I just reached over to, and I handed it to him and I put the car in drive, was getting ready to go again and I don't, I don't speak much Spanish at all. So he says something to me like, you know, and he points like, don't you want your, your jug back? And I said, no, you can keep it. And I drove off to work. And so I can honestly say like in that moment, I did it just because I saw these guys who were just miserable and who just needed water, you know? But then can I tell you, when Pilar got home, I couldn't wait to tell her about it. (laughs) 
And, and you know, I, I'm glad you're laughing because you know why I couldn't wait to tell her about it, right? I wanted her, like, deep down inside, I just have to, there's a part of me that just wanted her to go, oh, Wes, you know, you're so compassionate, you're such a sweet guy. You're so giving of others, you know, to others. And that's the problem we have. Like, even when we set out to do something initially with, with good intentions and a pure motive and we don't want praise from men, even after the fact, we can tell people about it with the intent of going, of having them shower praise on us. You been there? There's this one verse I want to share with you. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Man, that is so true. Even when we do good things, we can, we can do them with bad motives. And our heart can deceive us into wanting the praise of men rather than approval from God. In fact, it's really interesting. In verse, uh, I think it was Ramsey who, who shouted this word out, the word hypocrites is used repeatedly. It's at least in verses 2, because in verse 2 he talks about the hypocrites who give alms. In verse 5, it's the hypocrites who pray in the street corners. And in verse 16, it's the, the hypocrites who put on a gloomy face when they're fasting. What's interesting is that the, hip, the word hypocrite in our culture today, it's a derogatory term, right? You call someone a hypocrite, you probably don't do it to their face, but you probably say it you know, behind their back if you use that word. And like you're talking about someone who, who says one thing but acts completely contrary to that. That's what we call a hypocrite. So someone calls you a hypocrite, it's not a compliment. But in Jesus' time, it actually did not mean that. The word hypocrite uh, actually meant an actor who wore a mask while performing. And so that's what he's saying. Don't, don't be fake. Don't put on an act. Don't put on a show for other people. In fact, it's interesting, in verse 16, he actually says, and whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. So you think of an actor who physically puts on a mask and gets on stage. He's not, he's not portraying to people who he genuinely is in real life. And that's what we do. That's who we are when we do good things with the motivation of being praised by people. But we have to be careful. Jesus is not saying don't do these things. In fact, the assumption is that we are going to do these things. We're going to give alms. We're going to pray. And we might even fast. But his point is be cautious. Be careful when you do that. The very first word in chapter 6 is beware. He didn't say stop. He said beware of when you do good deeds. That your motivation is not to, be, not to get a pat on the back and to be approved by men. So let's look at each of these a little more closely. What does it mean? What is this thing about giving alms? What does that mean? Anyone know? Anyone have like a little note in your reference, note in your Bible or anything? Or maybe you just know. Giving to the needy. Thank you, Luke. Yes. Giving alms was giving to those who are need, giving to the poor. So <clears throat> typically what would happen is, is they would walk into the temple and there would be a, you know, like a brass or metal, uh, kind of like a vase, right? And, and they would drop their, their money, their coins into that. And that was especially designated for to help those who are in need. So 
like in churches today, I, you could call it like a benevolence fund or a love offering, something like that. That's what, it, that's what giving alms means. And in verse 2, he says, Do not be like the hypocrites, like the actors, like the fake people who give and sound a trumpet. Now, he didn't literally mean that they were blowing trumpets. In fact, this whole passage is, is full of, of metaphors. So, I, so what he might have meant was that, you know, you kind of picture this brass you know, container that comes up and it, and it has a neck and then it opens up into kind of a wide, round mouth, right, which looks kind of like a trumpet. So they would come in and they would drop their coins in a manner that created some noise so people would get, so people would notice and turn and go, oh, there goes Wes, he's giving. Oh, he's such a, such a compassionate guy. He's giving to the poor. So it might be that they dropped their coins. Maybe they even gave a lot, but it was you know, slow and loud so it didn't drop straight down through the middle and land in the bottom, but it would hit the inside of that mouth you know, and bounce around and make a lot of noise. So they made a lot of noise, the hypocrites did, whenever they, whenever they gave. That'd be like if we passed the offering plate here and it's going by, which we don't do, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, the offering plate goes past, and you intentionally let it go by. And then you go, oh, hey, wait, can you send that back? I want to put this check right here. Bring it on back over this way. I wasn't ready. Right? You want, you want the attention. You want people to realize or to recognize that you have, you've given money to the church. And you notice we, didn't, we don't pass an offering plate around here at Alamo Stone. There are a few reasons why. I'm going to give them to you. We, you know, we have that little, I don't even know if you notice, we have an offering box when you come into the sanctuary, and we only put that out like half the time. But there are a few reasons why. One is because we don't want you to feel compelled to give. We want you to give, but we don't want you to feel compelled to give. And a lot of times when that plate comes out, like you feel like, oh man, I really wasn't going to give anything, but since the plate's coming by, someone might be watching. So let me get out some coins, and I'm going to drop them and make a noise so people know that I gave, right? Here's why we want you to give. Here's a, oh, uh, that's not the right, that's all right. We'll come back to that. Um, so there's the pressure to give, but there's also the, the motivation of giving to be noticed by others, you know, which is, it's related, and that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, don't give in order to be noticed by men. So we've kind of set up at Alamo Stone where if you're going to give to be noticed by men, you have to try really hard and go out of your way in order to make that happen. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Another reason why we don't pass the plate is because we actually want you to give online. And there are a few reasons why. Because one, you're giving God, you're giving to him first, as opposed to giving him whatever's left over from the month. And biblical giving is, is systematic, right? It is, it's consistent in amount and in frequency and so you give online then it's like you don't have to worry about oh i spent too much money on you know video games i don't have money to give give to the church so it's systematic so whether it's five dollars a week or five hundred dollars a month whatever it is that's between you and god um but we want you to you know get in the practice of giving consistently giving online is the, probably the easiest way to do that i'm going to send out instructions this week on how you can do that so if you're not on our church distribution list, see me tonight. I'm going to add you to it, and you can get that email this week. Now, college students, love that y'all are here. Um, 
I'm going to say, now first, and let me, y'all need to know this, like I have no idea who gives what other than me. I have no idea. College students, I have no expectation that you're going to give financially to the church. If you can, that's great. That's great. But, you know, I'm just excited you're here, glad you're here. I don't know if y'all are working, not working, whatever. That's between you and God to work out. And, and really, I don't want you to feel compelled to give, especially when you're in school trying to, you know, just study and pay rent and put food on the table. So I just need to let y'all know that. So, but we voted. We, I showed you the, the budget earlier. We're going to vote on it in a month. And so I want you to spend time over the next month praying over it. We've had a lot of people in our church family you know, put time and prayer into that budget that we just presented to you tonight. Because um, here's the deal. When, when we vote in a month to approve that budget, and I hope that, you know, we do approve the budget, but your vote to approve the budget is not just saying, yes, I agree that that's what Alamo Stone's budget should be. What you're saying is, yes, I agree that's what the budget should be, and yes, I'm going to support it financially. And we need to count on you to do that through regular systematic giving. In verse 5, Jesus transitions from talking about giving to the needy to praying. Let me ask you this. Do you ever find yourself hearing someone praying and you go, man, she's so good. She's so, she's so good at praying. She's good at praying. What do you mean? What do we mean when we say someone is good at praying? This way y'all respond back. They're eloquent. They use big words like eloquent. <laughs> yes. Anything else? Yes. They sound sincere. Absolutely. Pray for a long time. Yeah, I went to a, uh, recently went to a Toastmasters informational meeting. I'd never been to a Toastmasters meeting, was thinking about joining, and I went. Raise your hand if you know what Toastmasters is. What the, Jody, what's Toastmasters? Yes, you, uh, it's like to practice your public speaking skills. And so what's interesting is they actually have someone, while someone is giving the speech, they have someone in the audience who's, who's writing down all of the verbal crutches that you use and how many times you use each one. So a verbal crutch would be, um, um, yeah, um, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to be very self-conscious of that for the rest of that. <laughs> And so, and they get graded, like they get a report. Like is another one, if I didn't say that one already. Like, they get a report uh, on how they did. And so I think we have kind of our view of what makes someone good at praying. Like, it's just so mixed up. We think it's someone who, who would do really well at a Toastmasters meeting. Oh, he's so good at praying. He's so eloquent. He uses these big theological terms. I don't even know what he's talking about, but it sounds great. And he prays for a really long time. We equate good prayer with good public speaking. I remember taking an Old Testament course um, probably 20 years ago. And it was interesting because every week we'd meet and every week the professor would call on someone to open the class in prayer. And he loved calling on this one guy. I'm saying he probably called on this guy, at, and I'm not exaggerating, probably 70% of the time. Why do you think he called on that guy? Well, how do you think that guy prayed? Eloquent, you know, lengthy, sounded really good. He didn't, he didn't say um or uh. He didn't stutter. 
He had this loud, booming voice. We didn't pass a microphone around, obviously, right? So he, but he would just, he'd stand up, and he had this deep voice, and, oh, Father in heaven, thou, and he would just go on and on and on. And almost every week, the professor would call on him. And, and you got to understand, like, I'm not saying anything negative about this guy who was praying like this student, because I'm not in any way questioning his heart. But I just thought it was interesting that the one guy who was, like, the best at praying was the one guy that called on to pray the most in class. I can tell you the most beautiful prayer I've ever heard was in Puerto Rico two years ago. We went on a mission trip, about 20 of us. We were doing ministry down at the soup kitchen in downtown Ponce. And, and I'm sitting across from the table talking to this guy named Michael. He's homeless. He's legally blind. Uh, he wants to be a, a rapper. Um, you know, he's got the the flat bill, you know, big cap on, and, and we're talking, and he's telling me this story about how he, he's been searching for his mom. He, he doesn't know who his mom is. Some people told him she was a prostitute. Some people said she was a good woman, but he, he doesn't know his mom. No, she's alive somewhere, but, or thinks she is, but doesn't know his mom. He's weeping, just telling, telling me this story. And I said to him, I said, Michael, you know what you're looking for is the, the unconditional love of a parent. And he's weeping. He says, yes, yes, that's what I want. And I said, Michael, God, who is your perfect father who would never leave you, is offering that to you. But you have to accept that free gift. You know, he, all, he gave his son. I shared the gospel with him. And I said, is that what you want? And he said, yes, that's what I want. I want that. And I said, well, all you have to do is open your heart and pray and commit your life to God. So I want you to do that right now, Michael. We're going to pray. And I put my head down, and I looked back up, and he was looking at me. And I said, I can't say this for you. This has to come from you. And I closed my eyes, put my head back down. And he made the most beautiful, heartfelt prayer. It was, of all things, it was, it was not eloquent. It wasn't. It was a man with a broken heart weeping and praying to commit his life to Christ. That was a beautiful prayer, the most beautiful prayer I've ever heard. And, and as people, just sinful, broken people, I think we equate eloquence and length and big words with someone who's good at praying as opposed to, you know, what is, what comes from our, our hearts. So Jesus tells us the, the hypocrites, the, the actors, they give to be seen, they pray to be seen. And, uh, oh, you know, I have some verses, I'm sorry, I skipped these, on, on giving to the needy. We're going to have to back up some, sorry guys. You can write these down if you want. Um, so when we, when we give, we'll keep going. Giving, praying, and then fasting, verse 16. We'll keep going. On verse 16, he says, Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. I don't know a whole lot of Christians who fast, which might be the point. Because you're saying if you fast, don't do it so that people know. But I also think that it's just not a, a practice that is um, 
practiced very often today. So the point Jesus makes is whether you're giving, praying, or fasting, you need to make sure that your motivation is, is right before God. So when it comes to giving, why should we give to the poor? Again, this is response time. Why should we give to the poor? I hear someone. Because they're in need. Yes. Because the Lord gave to us. Thank you, Marcus. So when I get to these verses, we have a few reasons. There are a lot of reasons to give. Here's some. This is Jeremiah. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Because when we give to the poor, we do so to reflect the character of our Father in heaven. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses the poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. So to honor God. And then when we give, we are giving to God himself. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Now, I don't have this one on the slide, but Jesus, of course, said, whatever you have done for the least of these, you have done for me. And then to Marcus's point, Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Yes, when we consider what God gave to us, his son, to die on a cross, how can we not then want to give to those who need? In our biggest moment of need, our, to meet our greatest need, God gave his son to us. Those are just some of the reasons that we should give to the poor. Why should we pray? To align our hearts with God's desires. Thank you, Marcus. Yes, anything else? Paige. Yes, to be in a relationship with him. To ask for help for ourselves and for others. Absolutely. To have a conversation. Yes. To be forgiven of our sins. To be strengthened when we're tempted. Yeah, I just want to share one verse with you on prayer. There we go. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. From Jeremiah 33. And some of you spoke to this already. But I want to tell you, the, I think the the main reason why we pray, why we should pray, is for what you said, to be in a relationship with God, to, to know him deeper and greater, and to have him reveal things to us that we otherwise would not have known. We were in Bible study this week in our marriage class, and the first question for the week was, we had to uh, spend time alone with God in prayer and ask him to reveal things to us Ways that we had sinned against our spouse. And, and then, you know, there's room to make a list of things. And then later we're to meet with our spouse and, and ask for, you know, confess those things, ask for forgiveness. And can I tell you, in our small group, every single one of us had things that 
you know, initially came to mind, but then after spending time with alone with God, like he revealed some other things that were not on our minds, that were deeper, that we otherwise would not have known to confess. Prayer is a way of gaining deeper intimacy with God to experience him more personally, as someone said. What about fasting? What's the purpose of fasting? Humility? Humility? Uh, can you elaborate on that? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Have a greater appreciation for our dependency on him. Anything else? Erica? Yes. <laughs> yes. I just want to share what I think is probably um, the most important, the most revealing, maybe, uh, passage about fasting. This is from Matthew 9. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. It's kind of like what Ross was speaking to earlier. Like just, we love people, we love our family, we love our friends, but just long for that day when we will be with Christ. You know, as, as citizens of his kingdom, we long to be with the king in his kingdom. So fasting is a way, it's like the purpose is, and I'm, grateful ones. it's not to lose weight right it's it's to create this hunger this longing inside of us for christ to take our focus off of the physical tangible things of this world that can so distract us from him and refocus our attention and kind of rebuild our hunger for the lord and so because our hearts are deceitful and sick Jesus warns us, beware of practicing these things, praying, fasting, giving to the needy, and other good things in order to be seen by men. And that's our challenge. I mean, if we're just being real, right? the, the earthly approval of men is so tempting for us. It's immediate, it's tangible, it feels good. And so that's our struggle, to, to deny that and instead to seek the eternal approval of our Father. And when we do that, he will reward us. Because Jesus is clear. If, if you fast and people notice you and go, oh, man, you just, you're like a superhero spiritual person. That's your reward right there. That's it. You give to the needy and people notice you for that and your motivation is to be noticed. Oh man, you are just, you're so generous. Giving must be your gift. That 10 seconds of praise is your reward in full. In full. You pray long and out loud for people to hear and that's your motivation. So people will think he's really good at praying. That's your reward right there. 
But the, the reward of doing these things when our motivation is, is not the praise of men but to glorify God is just what we talked about. It is deeper intimacy with God our Father. And may that be our prayer to experience closeness with God that would satisfy us so we would not crave the attention of men. So I'm going to give you guys some time to, to pray individually at your seats. We're not going to pray in groups. And I have a few prayer requests that I want to share with you guys. One, Ted Holly, you guys probably know he is he's in Virginia. He is trying to arrange care for his parents. Um, they are uh, you know, an, an older couple and uh, dementia is taking its toll on them. Ted texted me a couple times uh, yesterday and it's been very challenging for him. Uh, he, I believe what he shared was that they, they, he signed an agreement, a contract for in-home care services, but then was later told by the physical therapist that his dad needs to be out of the home and in, you know, in a care facility somewhere. So there's that struggle of, you know, the contract versus what he's been told. And then he texted me again last night and said there was some mix-up with the insurance. Um, but he sends his love to the church and he says that he feels the prayers of the church lifting him up and that in spite of all the kind of chaos and confusion and stress, um, he has an amazing peace that the Lord has given him. So I wanted to pass that on to you. I mentioned it earlier tonight, but we have at least seven women at the Without Borders Conference in Austin who are coming back tonight. Um, had Danny and Marcus on our list. Praise God that you're back. Um, and the Devereaux have uh, foster kids, uh, two of them, in their home, which, and they're here tonight, right? They're in kids' church. So Alexis and Bentley, and we'll get to meet them in a little bit. Are there other um, requests that you guys want the church family to be praying over? Do you know about Josiah? Oh, Josiah has joined the army. He, he left already. Okay, all right. Thank you, James. Um, he's going to East Coast somewhere, right? Yeah, he's going to Georgia. Okay, all right. So pray for Josiah Holly. Um, I'm grateful for his service to our country. Anyone else? And as you're going to the Lord in prayer, I just want to encourage you and me like this would be a good time to really ask God to examine our hearts. We were talking about Bible study this past week. When we, when we ask God to examine our hearts, it's not because he doesn't know what's in it. He already knows, but it's for him to reveal those things to us. So are there things that we're doing for the approval of men? How are, there are. The question isn't, isn't, are there? But what are those things? And let's ask God to, you know, to really just encourage us and find our satisfaction and our delight in him. So he wouldn't seek the approval of man. So we're going to have some time for individual prayer. Um, and then after uh, a couple minutes, Ross and the worship team will come back up.